So I'm a planner. I tend to be type A type of personality, but I have learned over the years I have to let a lot of that stuff go. There's only so much you can plan for, and then you have to realize that you're just going to go with the flow and do things. And I always think of Bach, you know, Bach. People always say, why didn't Bach compose any um, opera, you know? Well, nobody hired him to do that or the right collaborator didn't come along who ever thought of doing that. Maybe that's the only simple reason why we don't have, you know, opera by Bach, right? And and so for me, it's the same thing. The, a series of events have led me to where I am. But the most important thing is I'm happy and, and I'm invigorated and I'm always looking for new projects that will invigorate me. And the cool thing that I'm excited about it, even though I'm getting older, you know, uh, is that I don't know what's going to happen next. Hi, you're listening to Conversations with Musicians with Leah Roseman. This podcast strives to inspire you through the personal stories of a diversity of musicians worldwide with in-depth conversations and great music that reveal the depth and breadth to a life in music. Frank Horvat is an acclaimed Canadian composer and pianist whose music has been featured on over 20 albums. In this episode, you'll hear how he has forged meaningful collaborations with a wide range of musicians internationally and found and given solace to audiences through his focus on themes of mental health, the climate crisis, and social justice. He's so prolific and involved in so many diverse projects with music in many styles that we could only focus on a few of his works in this podcast episode. You'll hear clips from several of his compositions, his perspectives on generating new creations, his outreach with music students on the subject of mental health, and we start this episode with his Arctic Circle Expedition Residency. Like all my episodes, you can watch this on my YouTube channel or listen to the podcast, and I've also linked the transcript to my website, leahroseman.com. Please do share this episode with your friends and consider supporting the series by buying me a coffee. The link is in the description. Now to the episode. Hi, Frank. Thank you so much for joining me here today. It's a pleasure, Leah. Thank you for having me. I know we have a lot to talk about. You do so many interesting things, but I thought it might be really interesting to start with your Arctic Circle trip you took last summer. Yeah, I mean, this was uh, one of those things where I often use the term once-in-a-lifetime opportunities, and it really felt like that um, to uh, to be invited on a Arctic expedition, which was uh, also an artist residency, which was quite amazing. Basically, um, I was invited along with 29 other artists from uh, around the world, uh, artists of different dif disciplines, various disciplines, uh, to sail around on a tall ship um, in the Arctic north of uh, Norway, specifically around a body of land known as the uh, Svalbard Archipelago. And this was um, quite an amazing experience because of two main reasons. One, I've always been fascinated by um, the, the environment um, and I have a lot of concerns and hold uh, the issue of climate change close to my heart. So to basically go to the epicenter of of how the world needs to deal with climate change and to see firsthand, you know, the ravages of climate change uh, on that part of the world was uh, was quite moving. Uh, from a spiritual standpoint, it was also very interesting to 
to have the privilege of uh, visiting a place which is so serene and barren, where in our life we're so exposed. We're always exposed so much in this day and age to constant bombardment of um, uh, stimuli, uh, light pollution, uh, noise pollution from the big cities we live in. Uh, to visit a place where, you know, for three weeks I didn't see a car, <laughs> but to just have this view of the, you know, the barrenness of never-ending uh, landscapes and scenery was, was quite moving. And then all, the other big thing, of course, was to get to know all these wonderful artists from the, this different part of the world. And that was such an interesting thing because we w all went into that experience being um, complete strangers. Uh, but because we went through such a, you know, a, a spiritual uh, cathartic journey of going on this trip uh, together, you instantly become super close to each other. So um, these are people that are very close to my heart now because of that experience. And yet, you know, before that, I would never know them if we walked by in the street. So. Mm. And this was a tall ship, like sometimes you were just using the power of the wind? Yes, that's correct. That was that was quite um, interesting because um, we would be sailing in open water and the captain would say, well, the wind is floating or, uh, you know, blowing the right way uh, for where we're going. So we might as well, you know, just shut the engine off and, and use that. And that was sort of like, um, uh, gives you the feeling like, you're, you know, you're going back to hundreds of years ago, how explorers would sail the, the, the oceans and the seas and um, makes you realize how much ingenuity there is in the world without requiring machines and everything like that uh, all the time. So, mm -hmm. so what other, kind of other artists were there on this trip? Uh, visual artists. Uh, multidisciplinary artists, photographers. Um, uh, we also had some interesting other people, uh, you know, uh, architects, uh, academics, researchers. Mm -hmm. um, uh, surprisingly, not a lot of musicians. Um, so uh, not too many writers. Uh, so it was, it was really interesting because we also, we spent a lot of time chatting and we had a lot of time for that and people also did presentations so to see what other amazing work people are doing is is quite amazing as a as a creative person i i tend to you know spend most of my time in this this cloister of just you know working on what i do you know mm -hmm. and so you don't often get a chance to um, see and learn very intimately what other people are doing and, and not just to see like the outcome of their work or past work but also just to see what the motivation behind that is and to have that time to have those chats with fellow creatives was um, was quite engaging and enlightening. Mm -hmm. And how did you find out about it or get invited? Um, that's a really good, I, I'm trying to remember how I found out about it. For me, my experience with the trip, um, it's, it's run by a, a not-for-profit, just simply known as the Arctic Circle Residency. Mm. Um, and uh, the, I can't remember how I found out about it. And the reason why I'm having a hard time remembering is because I heard about it years ago. I applied years ago, 
was accepted years ago, but something called the pandemic got in the way and delayed my trip. I was supposed to be on this trip back in the summer of 2020. Okay. And um, it got delayed for three years because of the uh, of the pandemic. And so um, that was something I was really happy about that. Um, that uh, some things I, I had planned, you know, had plans prior to the pandemic mm -hmm. got either canceled or postponed. So this one was I'm so happy that this was just postponed and it was worth the wait for mm -hmm. sure. So before we leave this trip, were there any memorable there must be memorable images or nature you witnessed while you were up there. Yeah, I mean, glaciers calving mm -hmm. was was quite an amazing thing. I I'll never forget what we would often do is we would spend time on the the tall ship and use that on, as a means to go from one area to another area as we traversed around the around Svalbard. Uh, but what we would do is we would often anchor in some kind of a bay or inlet. And then what we would do is there would be uh, like um, small boats or dinghies sort of thing and, and with small motors. And then that would drop us off and we would do uh, landings. So we did plenty of hiking. Um, and that was quite an experience, you know, to be to be as a group, to be walking through various types of landscape, um, through ice, um, through snow, um, through just plain rocks as far as the eye can see. Um, but, you know, some of my, those, those were the definitely the memories of like really absorbing yourself within the landscape and having a chance to spend so much time on the landscape. Um, but the other things I'll never forget is uh, one day when we took one of these boats and rather than go to land, we just, we sort of did a, a tour, a little quiet tour of like this inlet, which uh, because of the nearby glacier that had calved, mm. there was like literally hundreds, if not thousands of bits of you know, uh, ice floating around, some, you know, being this tiny and others being the size of a bus. And I'll, I'll never forget, forget myself and four of our colleagues along with a guide. We were in one of these little boats uh, floating around and we happened to come across one of these bus-sized glaciers. And, um, and it was so peaceful and quiet. We were observing it. You know, it was such a, it was such a sort of calm and peaceful thing to look at. You know, literally something that had been, has been intact for you know so many thousands of years. You know, um, and all of a sudden, after like floating around and being peaceful with this thing for ten minutes, we we hear this super loud crack, and all of a sudden, the whole glacier or iceberg, I should say, just sort of like you see a crack and it's this loud thing and it's just like this really sort of calm and everything moves in slow motion. It's just part of it breaks apart and one goes right up into the air like a, like a whale uh, jumping into the air as high as, you know, like seven, eight, nine stories high. Wow. And... 
at that point, our guide is like, well, we're getting out of here so, <laughs> because we need to get some distance away because there's going to be some waves from this. So as it, as he's driving the our little boat away, we're looking back and we just see this thing go in. We see the other half just go down deep, come back out. And after like 30 seconds of this larger than life, surreal thing that you're looking at, it almost looks like some kind of a, you know, visual effects in some action adventure film. Uh, the whole thing basically flipped over. And when you, when it flipped over, it was unlike the white that the very the white and the snow type of cap that it was it flipped over and underneath was just this shiny see-through almost like glass there was black dirt and speckles in it but there was this incredible blue i've never seen the blue like this before and and it was just all calm like nothing had happened and you were looking at the bottom side of this thing that really had never experienced I guess air or the atmosphere before and to see it like transform like this was was quite stunning and and we tried to take video of it between the four or five of us I think we only got the tail end of it and it was just like no one's gonna believe this <laughs> like you know it's just like well only us the small five of us on this on this rubber dinghy is ever going to remember this but but that left a profound mark in on myself that it makes you realize how small and insignificant we are you know on this planet you know there's so much mighty power you know that is just like doesn't care whether we're there or not and it's uh quite momentous you know were you fearful for your life i mean could have no been... no no because because our, our our guide was just like as soon as as soon as the crack started happening and that that you know that thing started to move it was out of there so we really got back like a half kilometer okay. and that type of thing so that's the beauty that uh, that's that was the one thing about it. i never felt unsafe on that trip we had such an expert crew that was looking after us guides and crew um and i'm not I'm not much of an adventurer by nature. I'm not like, you know, some National Geographic go to the far edges of the world and that type of thing, you know. So so for me to feel like safe and that type of thing was, was so amazing. So, so well organized. Fantastic. Thanks for sharing that. I really love to include music close to the beginning of an episode. So maybe it would be interesting to go to your recent album uh, that you wrote for the Sh Ensemble. I'm not sure how they say it. How do they say it? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> I, I always just say Sh Ensemble. Okay. So, uh, but yeah, I think that's how they say it. I've heard them say it like that. So yeah, what a great name. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Who would ever think of that for a music group? Because <laughs> often they can't be quiet, but you know, but they're, it's sort of a beautiful uh, <laughs> irony. Yeah. <laughs> So if you could uh, talk about what that um, duo is and, and the album. Sure, yeah. The ensemble is um, is a, a duo, a piano percussion duo based in Ottawa, uh, Ontario, Canada. And uh, they're made up of pianist Dana Hyam and uh, percussionist Zach Pulak. And 
they're they're a wonderful dynamic um, uh, duo that's uh, really focused on doing very innovative things. So, you know, uh, we we uh, touched base a few years ago, and I've always admired what what they do. And I thought, hey, why don't we collaborate on something? And after some conversations, I realized that they had a really strong, passionate uh, passion for the environment. They're uh, avid outdoors people, and um, and they're also, like I said, they're they're quite daring uh, artistically. They they don't mind taking chances and um, and thinking outside of the box of how music can be performed. I mean, the majority of the the rep the vast majority they they of repertoire they play is by living composers. So so the fact that they have that very strong uh, dedication to new music is quite amazing. Anyway, uh, so in our conversations, we realized we had this really um, strong uh, connection about the environment. And because they are a duo that can play or cover or present so many different instruments, I came up with the idea of sort of this epic work that would feature a variety of instruments um, and uh, but also tell the story of where our world is at and this is how the idea for the composition and their album uh, was born so the work that we we collaborated on um, that i composed for them is called um, uh, an auditory survey of the last days of the holocene which is quite a long title but the piece is actually quite long, so maybe it's fitting in that respect. It's, an, uh, it's a continuous um, uh, single uh, multi-movement, continuous multi-movement composition, uh, 60 minutes in duration. It's for, uh, it's for uh, fixed electronics, uh, along with a variety of many other instruments that they, they included in the work. Um, the piece is made up of about 150 electronic samples, many sound effects, and basically, as the title suggests, it's this exploration of where our world is at right now as far as um, uh, dealing with climate change. Uh, what are the sounds associated with the issues that's putting more and more carbon into our planet? But also, uh, what are the sounds that are, are going to help us get through this? And what are the sounds when we do achieve that, that we'll expect in this world? So it, it's quite an epic journey and it's quite um, intense. Um, we spent many months, many months working on this, conceiving it, planning it out. Uh, many, many weeks for me to compose. It was, um, it's quite, um, from an auditory standpoint, it's quite a graphic work. There's a lot of really intense sounds um, that are not always um, pleasing to hear. Um, but again, uh, Zach and Adana were, were so open to allowing me not to feel any sort of being stifled or for us to sort of censor ourselves that, oh, well, maybe audiences won't like this or that. And I'm, I'm really happy that we did that. It, it was a bit hard for me, like on a 
a mental health standpoint sometimes to work on the piece um, because it was so intense and to hear those sounds over and over again as I worked the material and composed it uh, was difficult but at the same time uh, we are living in uh, dire times and I felt uh, you know that even though it's an abstract instrumental work there needs to be some elements that are very quite direct that people will recognize and make a statement um, as we presented this auditory survey. So I'm really happy um, with the outcome for sure. You're about to hear two short clips from two contrasting sections of an auditory survey of the last days of the Holocene with the Sh ensemble. The first clip is switch off and the second is negative energy. Thanks for sharing some of that, that music. And I'm curious, to perform it live would be more difficult, right? Yeah, I mean, that's the challenge of that work. Um, so uh, for, for them uh, to ever perform it live, because uh, honestly, um, I think Zach alone, I think plays 20 to 25 different percussion instruments during the, mm. the piece and some very large ones um, you know it's not a little handheld things we got marimba we got um, you know timpani we've got um, uh, huge one things vibraphone uh, of course there are grand pianos needed with you know with a speaker set up you know to to have the uh, the fixed electronics part be uh, in sync with what they're playing live so you know I hope one day that they get an opportunity they still have not had an opportunity to to perform it live uh, as we record this i hope they do because i think it would be quite epic um and and make a statement in a sort of a live setting as a collective setting that i know you and i are known know about how how great it is to have the energy of a live audience especially in, in a work like that but the other things that um, that being explored right now and that actually has started is the idea of um, sound installations. Mm. The, the work itself is definitely a composition. It has a lot of the, relies a lot on the, the discipline and the, uh, the tradition that, you know, we're used to in a sort of a classical music tradition of, you know, the virtuosity you know, and the technique required in the execution of the instrumental parts, that's all in there. But there is something also just quite 
that can be appreciated in a sort of a, a sound installation recording. So, you know, that obviously is more, um, uh, you know, logistically and probably financially easier to arrange. Um, and we actually did have a, 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 an installation like this um, in, uh, in Ottawa at the Peak uh, Arts Festival uh, in December 2023. So that was, um, that was really exciting uh, to hear that. And again, to experience it in a room with all the multiple speakers set up and, and experience it with, uh, with a group of people, there was a great energy about that. So, um, yeah, that's, those are the options, I guess, moving forward for now. The, the main thing is the album is out there and I'm just happy that there's this great album out there featuring the piece. So, yeah, of course, it'll it'll be linked in the show notes to your website. Yeah, I had to miss that performance. I had a, a show of my own, but um, that's great. Now, it might be interesting to talk about the world of, you know, I hate to say classical. It's such a misnomer to me, this word classical composition when it's anything, but you know what I mean? We're, we're far from the world of Mozart. But you write a variety of styles and genres. You write electronic music, singer-songwriter. Like, it's, it's quite a wide variety of... Uh, creative output. Yeah, I I basically do that because um, I feel comfortable with it. It's uh, growing up, I was exposed, and I'm still exposed to so many styles of music. I'm a I'm just a big music fan. Um, you know, when we used to have CDs or do downloads and stuff, you know, my collection would be filled with any style of anything. And, um, you know, when I was growing up in Ottawa, I had my traditional piano lessons, uh, you know, the classical training, taking my conservatory exams, etc. You know, so I had that sort of like that traditional upbringing, um, and that sort of resonated with me. And of course, that, that traditional sort of approach to music learning continued on when I went to uh, University of Toronto for music where I was studying composition. So I had this sort of the, 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 tra the traditional classical basis to my education. But at the same time, I've always um, loved other styles of music. And not only that, but played a lot of other styles of music. I'm, growing up, I remember I played in blues band in Ottawa and we used to jam so much in our high school music room. And that was a very sort of like impactful thing, improvisation. And, and I think, you know, I wouldn't be the composer I, what I am today if I didn't have those experiences of that. And uh, collaborating with with singer songwriters with musicians from other backgrounds is something that I really really love because you know um, as a composer I I'm very I'm always proud of the work I wouldn't put my work out there if I wasn't proud of it and stand by it but then when I move on to other projects I'm also quite determined not to write the same piece over and over again so so the only way to ensure that you don't compose the same piece over and over again is to to not only just sort of think about, you know, style or that kind of thing, but think about process, you know, and how you're doing things and uh, who are you collaborating with, what are their strengths and weaknesses. So uh, sort of when I compose, either if it's a straight out commission, you know, somebody 
says, compose this for me, or it's more of a collaborative thing where we go through the steps and the creative process together, um, I always try to think of, okay, well, what makes them tick? What, it, what do I love about what they do? Mm. And how can we combine that? And then the outcome of that is that I'm able to create something new that, that I didn't ever do. Like it sort of passes my own personal lipness test of, you know, what feels good. So um, I think that's why I do what I do, but it's just really ingrained in me to do that um, uh, anyway, because of the fact that you know, I've always listened to so many different styles of music and I'm just a huge music fan. Mm -hmm. So Maybe it'd be interesting now to talk about in, during the pandemic, you had this really beautiful generative project that just really helped with, with connections all over. Yeah, so I know you're referring to the Music for Self-Isolation mm -hmm. project that I, that I did um, that basically started in an impromptu way um, in March of 2020. I guess that is a sort of an infamous uh, month for the whole, for our part, this part of the world, um, and especially for our music community. Uh, and arts and culture community where basically everything sort of shut down overnight. And, you know, um, we're, what now, almost three, three and a half, over three years now since that happened. Um, and it's hard to believe it still feels fresh, like it just happened. Like that feeling of like, well, what are we all going to do now? You know what I mean? Um, now, for me, I have to say, though, on a personal level, I felt I was quite lucky in that a lot of my my work is not performance based. I, I myself have done a lot of performing over the years, but I haven't done it hasn't been a big part of my life in the last number of years. It's basically been, you know, working on creative projects and composing. And um, so I, I really felt for my performance performer friends, you know, who you know, um, work in orchestras or, you know, are freelancers especially, and um, how were they going to, you know, get by and, and deal with this? And of course, I did have things, like I mentioned earlier, I had things that were postponed or canceled. And so all of a sudden, well, my schedule was freed up. I didn't have to, you know, stick to my strict timeline of deadlines for this or that all of a sudden. That wasn't important. So I thought, well, I, I got to do something that just first and foremost keeps me occupied. So I, I gave myself a daily goal starting in late March of 2020. I would compose one short piece for a solo instrument, uh, a different solo instrument. And I would do that for as long as I can come up with different solo instruments and until I run out of ideas. And I ended up doing that routine for about 30 days in a row. I think 30 days, yeah. And so there's 30 pieces in the Music for Self-Isolation suite. And basically every day I would compose the piece, like in the morning I would compose the piece, I would quickly make sheet music for it, and then right away I would post on my website and do a social media post just to say, hey world, I'm, I've done this, I'm composing this. If you're feeling, you know, uh, little bit down that you have nothing to do like to play your instrument you have nothing to play for well hey, here's something that i've composed for this moment in time and how we might be feeling all of us collectively even though we're not together and 
and it just took off. It was it was just amazing. I was so um, honored that people like loved the music so much. Um, the very first piece I did was the flute piece and uh, the flute solo flute piece, and that just you know people love that solo flute piece so much. All the flutists you know just spread amongst their community and. Uh, and it was just like so honored to have people post videos online of themselves at home by themselves playing this piece from every corner of the world, you know, because how often do we have, you know, such a cataclysmic event in our planet where every pretty well every single person on the planet is affected, impacted equally. I mean, it was it was quite uh, unprecedented and um, and to sort of engage and you know, uh, correspond with all of my colleagues from around the world and, and sort of create this de facto community. Well, the whole project just gave me um, purpose, but it also, uh, you know, a creative purpose, but it also kept me engaged, you know, not to feel depressed, uh, not to be able to see people in person. Uh, nothing beats in person, of course, but thankfully we had all this technology and to be able to use a tech, have a use the basis of a project like this impromptu project to bring people together and interact with people it was so exciting and then then we ended up doing um you know we ended up doing uh chats um you know some electronic pieces that were born out of that we ended up doing um an album we made a documentary film about it it just over the the couple of years after that it just expanded and is there some music we can share from that album Sure. Yeah. I mean, you can, if you, if you're interested, I know I just talked about the, the flute piece. So yeah. the flute piece, uh, from the, uh, music for a self isolation album would be fantastic uh, by, uh, it's, uh, it's performed by Christopher Lee on the album. He did a fantastic job. We recorded it in an empty Roy Thompson hall, oh, wow. uh, in the, in the January, 2021. That was quite an experience to be in such a, you know, well-known concert hall in Canada and right in the heart of downtown Toronto and other than some technical staff that was working there and everybody wearing masks and social distancing, uh, you know, to be in such a place that's usually full of life and such a huge audience, you know, that was, that was quite an amazing thing. So I think Chris is, I think that piece is sort of fitting because it really sort of, it was the first piece I composed. And I think it really sort of encapsulates the the feeling of what I was feeling at that very moment and Chris's interpretation. It captures that beautifully.
Thanks for sharing that, Frank. It's, it's very fascinating because a lot of things in our world are very planned out, right? You know, it's like, you know, I have projects that are often, you know, they have like a two to five year span. And, you know, those first years are like so much planning without any creative work done. It was so unique and f fun to be able to just wake up one morning, come up with an idea and start it that day, you know, and then just keep working on it until it felt like it was right to be over. I mean, that's, that was the other beautiful thing about it for me personally, that, you know, we don't often get to do in our work as professional musicians, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really beautiful. And I, I've heard some of those interviews. Was there anything you, that you remember from those conversations, like the kind of themes that kept coming through? I did eight in-depth interviews with people that participated in the in peace they and they became like audio almost like radio documentaries i i all the original footage of the interviews on my youtube channel but what i ended up doing was creating electronic compositions out of it and, and they were all so moving of how people were dealing with it a lot of them were were quite like uh uncertain i remember everybody felt so uncertain at that time what was going to come next but what I also appreciated was the hope people felt that this would go away. This was just temporary that, you know, yes, there was a lot of uncertainty of, well, how, how is the world going to change after this, especially as our, our lives as professional musicians. And of course, now looking at it now in the present, we can see that there has been changes, right? Some things for the better, people doing very unique, interesting programming, but we've also had, you know, inst musical institutions just disappear, you know, because they, they couldn't recover, you know? And so a lot of the things that people were talking about were prophetic. Um, there was also some heartwarming stories of, how people were dealing with loss during that time period, the loss of loved ones. Um, it, it really, uh, how they were dealing with being by themselves. It, it's, it's quite a, listening to it now, it's, it's quite a beautiful time capsule of that time period that we all lived through, you know, through the voices of those eight various musicians from various places. So. Mm. Hi, just a short break from the episode, which I hope you're enjoying so far. If you want to check out over 100 episodes you may have missed, in addition to your podcast player or YouTube, I have an extensive website, leahroseman.com, with show notes, transcripts, the complete catalog of episodes, and you can sign up there for my weekly newsletter to get access to sneak peeks of upcoming guests. Please do share your favorite episodes with your friends, follow me on social media, and share my posts. And if you can spare a few dollars to help support the series, that would be amazing. And you can find that link in the show notes. I'm an independent podcaster, and I really do need the help of my listeners. Now back to the episode. If we could talk about your uh, virtual therapy tour, what do you call it? Your piano therapy virtual tour. Correct. Yeah, so uh, this is, again, one of these projects that was born uh, prior to the pandemic um, and had to evolve because of the pandemic. Um, I've, you know, I've been quite outspoken in the last number of years about talking about the importance of mental health and, um, you know, how as a society we need to work harder 
to to deal with mental health issues and that that sort of advocacy was born out of my own uh, personal struggles uh, over the years the last 20 years dealing with issues around um, depression and anxiety and after I went through my my journey of healing myself um, and managing it better through a variety of therapies I about I think about six years ago I made the decision or six or seven years ago I decided I'm going to write some music about that experience that ended up that solo piano music ended up being uh, an album called you haven't been that I put out there um, and you know by putting that album and talking about what inspired that music I basically opened myself up to the you know the experiences I went through and because I did that uh, people um, on similar type of platforms like yours uh, started asking me you know would you talk about it uh, and talk about the music and talk about your journey and at first I was very um, hesitant about that because it's one thing to um, to write music about that type of experience but it's another thing to talk about it I think as creative people uh, you know whether you're a composer or a performer we often will hide behind our instrument or our, our voice you know to to deliver feelings and messages without having to be literally talking about it but after a lot of thought about it and making sure that I would feel safe and okay I decided I would do it and when I did it I felt quite good I felt you know that uh, this was something that I felt comfortable with for myself I felt safe and um, and so because of that I thought okay, well, how do we expand this idea of combining the music with sort of the advocacy of promoting better mental health? So the original idea was the piano therapy tour, no virtual in there. And the piano therapy tour was, you know, started about a year or so before the pandemic. And I did some live performances, you know, and live performances with playing these pieces and talking in between the pieces about my experience and that was very uh, gratifying and it went well and we wanted to do more of that and then of course the pandemic started so at that point that's where we decided well why don't we start to um, think about the uh, sort of a virtual option for this and rather than doing live streams we thought mm, maybe to have the best quality sound and the best performance we decided to uh, uh, record um, or film a concert film of me performing the pieces and then interspersed within that would be little bits of the um, uh, little bits of me talking so we had a director we had a beautiful film crew that did this so professionally it's a beautiful um, a beautiful concert film that I feel very proud of that really sort of captures the essence of what I'm trying to convey and what we do now is we we have the piano therapy virtual tour visit university and college music campuses all over all over the world um, so basically what they do is they on their uh, at a specific day and time in their space they will play the concert film and then right after the concert film as part of the same session or uh, uh, class period or whatever I'll, I'll join them via uh, via zoom or some video chat and then we can have a live chat and a Q&A and it's a great great way for schools to promote the mental health services they're offering in the schools 
And this idea about the piano therapy virtual tour has always been focused specifically on that crowd because I think, you know, I think you and I talked about this both in our back in the past in our student days, you know, how challenging it is, especially for music students to deal with the the rigors of being a music student, the hugely competitive atmosphere, um, the dealing with the, the personal things about imposter syndrome, which is so huge in our music community. So uh, we thought that to target and try to bring it, bring the piano therapy virtual tour specifically to college and university music campuses w would be helpful because those are things that I wish existed when I was a student but that that didn't exist and I and unfortunately a lot of people who couldn't withstand that you know very talented people dropped out and it just breaks my heart to know that talented people can't pursue their dreams just because of the, the mental health issues they're dealing with so it's been great we've we've had a chance to visit visit some schools so far and the response to it has been wonderful and this is just like a ongoing you know, indefinite project in my life, you know, uh, that I can do from the comfort of my home, own home and, and, but at the same time get to interact and talk with students and uh, faculty about this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. There's a beautiful promo video you've put together f from that. Could we use a clip of that in this episode? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for that. I first became aware of my depression being an issue in my life when I was in my 20s. What I found most difficult to deal with was the fact that not only was I going through this, but that I wanted to and it felt like I needed to push people away. I decided to use my battles with depression and anxiety as the basis for what this piece was going to be. And I think that process was so cathartic and important in my journey because it was really representing all that I had gone through in the past and all that I had achieved in my process of bettering my mental health. Talking to these students, what kind of questions have, have they had for you? A lot of the students, this is 
one of the things that's hard about the piano therapy virtual tour is there has been some students who open up and they say, well, I'm dealing with this or I'm dealing with that. But in general, it, it, most of the questions are going to be about the music mm. and the process. And that's understandable. After all, like you're in this quasi open forum. It's not open like, you know, it's not being live streamed on the Internet publicly, but you are amongst your peers and that kind of thing. So, you know, uh, it's understandable that somebody's not going to be like, well, I'm dealing with this. So what would you suggest I do for that? Well, first of all, I'm not a medical mental health professional. That's why we want to make it this thing where the mental health professionals are there. So then hopefully they can go and ask privately, which, of course, is, is the best way to deal with these kind of things. So what ends up happening is people end up asking me questions about the process of, you know, composing the music, performing the music, uh, practicing the music, how it made me feel. I found that really fascinating. Some really ins amazing insights that provoked a lot of thought for me personally, you know, um, you know, talking with them that made me think more about my process and how it made me feel. Like often we just do what we do, right? We don't think about why we do what we do or, you know, we just do it because it, maybe it's very intuitive and feels right. So uh, by the students asking me these very sort of pointed questions related to the theme of mental health, but also talking about the music, what I can't help but think is that they're looking for ways of how they maybe could do something similar like this. And that's really exciting for me because, mm. you know, if there's only just, if there's only two takeaways from, you know, anybody who, you know, gets to experience the piano therapy virtual tour, it's, it's one that people feel like they can get help if they need help or they can encourage somebody in their, like a loved one to get help. That's the first thing. And the second thing is the, is the fact that maybe it inspires something creatively, either to explore that theme or give other ideas. So that's that's pretty exciting and um, makes me feel like uh, I'm looking at projects these days in my life that's not just about me. You know what I mean? Oh, it's like, hey, what are you doing? Or like, this is me, this is me, it's all about me. You know what I mean? Like we, as performers or as as performing musicians who in the performing arts, it can become like that. And, and I think that um, I'm feeling, as I'm getting older, I'm feeling more and more comfortable that we have a lot to say. We can have a lot to say um, that yes, refers to who we are specifically and sharing a little bit of ourselves, but also provokes thought to the wider world of how the world can be better, you know? So I'm really into that kind of thing these days as far as projects go. And, mm -hmm. and the students you've um, you've met, are they mostly composition students or also performance? Both actually, mm -hmm. yeah. So this is that's why it's been fascinating. And, and I think that's why I, I got my piano playing in shops to record this concert film a few years ago. I, I'm happy that I did it myself, you know, because uh, this is something that I've done a lot. I love playing and performing piano. These days I don't do very much of it because I just simply don't have time to practice. Um, so many of my projects are, are geared these days for others. But I think that was really exciting because um, there's something exciting to see people performing their own music. I think mm -hmm. there's one thing that from our 
classical or art music tradition that we can learn from the pop music side, the singer songwriter, you know, where you listen to somebody sing a personal thing or share something through their music. I think that's super exciting. And I definitely see that as being a thing. Uh, when I started years ago, there was nobody, like there was hardly anybody who was composing and performing mm -hmm. their own stuff. Now it's becoming more and more common. Like we're starting to break down the barriers of, well, you can only be a composer and you can only be a performer. You can only be a teacher. I think the the economics of our music world uh, demand that anyway. It's just sort of happened because of the, the way our world has become. Um, but, uh, but I think it's a good thing. It's a healthy thing because it, it, I think we, we sort of like can present things and experience things in such a different way when we get to participate in all aspects of its, of the, of the sharing of what we're producing. Mm -hmm. I wanted to highlight another inspiring recent project of Frank Horvath's. You're about to hear an excerpt from the Odin Quartet's performance of Frank's Winter from the Four Seasons in High Park as part of their album From Oblivion to Hope. When you were a teenager getting ready to apply for the composition program at U of T, were you encouraged by your piano teacher? Like, were you just composing on your own? How did that work? So, I, you know, I started music lessons when I was five years old, and I think I compo probably composed my first piece when I was nine. So it was really in me mm -hmm. to compose early. I remember I used to sit at my the dining room table in my parents, growing where I grew up with my parents, and you know, I would just get, they would give me blank manuscript paper with, you know, the, the st musical staff on it. And I would just start writing notes randomly, you know. Um, and I was always very intrigued about the creative aspect of it. And I always knew in my heart that that would be a big part of my life. So that's why when I came of age and I was starting to apply for university, I definitely know I wanted to, to, to go into composition. But at the same time, uh, even though I knew that, I also sort of, and I also loved to play. And so even though when I did my degree uh, in university, even though I didn't have to take private lessons in order to fulfill the requirements of my specific degree in composition, I did anyway. I did it as an elective. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was just because, I, I mean, I'm not the greatest piano player in the world, uh, but but I, because I've worked at it so many years and studied it and taken lessons and coachings and things like that so steadily over the years, especially in those, that chapter in my life, I, 
I really benefited from that, you know what I mean, compositionally. Mm-hmm. So to keep playing, there's yeah. something just really powerful about that. So that overlap, again, is so, so crucial for me. Mm-hmm. So a number of years ago, you were still performing more. And if we could just touch on, you did this interesting, what was it, 60 plus uh, Green Keys tour? Yeah, so that was that was my first major project related to um, thinking about the environment. So this happened back in 2010 and 11, where I visited um, 60 plus cities playing a solo piano concert. And the main piece that I would perform on all those piano concerts was a piece I composed called Earth Hour. And Earth Hour is a continuous 60 minute piece. I guess I have this thing about 60 minute pieces. <laughs> I love these kind of these kind of long, long winded pieces, I guess. And yeah, I performed this piece and the whole idea of that piece was that it was inspired by being in the dark. So every hall I would play in, uh, concert venue, all the lights had to be shut off. And it, that was quite an experience because, you know, when you travel and you tour, especially as a pianist, you have a different piano, it has a different acoustic and a different size room. And there's a different size amount of people in the crowd and there's you know, light pollution that might seep in some places and then other places it was pitch dark. You couldn't see absolutely anything. I just had a little clip on, a tiny little LED light just to give me enough light to read the music. And the piece was exactly 60 minutes to the second. And basically we, uh, you know, I did this tour in order to, you know, prove the point of how we have so many other senses that we do use and um, and how you know, in tune, we can get in with that and realize that there's so much in our life that we think we need, but we don't really need as far as energy conservation goes and helping the environment that way. And it was really great. It was really great to get feedback from people who would come to the concerts because, you know, they never went to like a solo piano concert in their life, but they were environmentalists and they heard about it. So they came and they would talk to me about how the whole experience made them feel. So just to cross boundaries of to connect with people who normally wouldn't go to such an event um, was really special. And yeah, we we had amazing eco-friendly sponsors and helped raise money for the World Wildlife Fund. We were traveling in in a sustainable fashion. We only used, you know, public, but like bus or train to do the vast majority of the tour. We visited the U.S., uh, used a Prius to to drive across the U.S. because the bus service and the train service in the U.S. is terrible. So, um, so it was really exciting, and it was really exciting experience to connect with people and share music and. Um, and again, try to do something that isn't just about, first and foremost, I love composing music, but but what kind of message or what kind of like thing do I want to leave to get people to think about when they hear my music? It was, it was such a wonderful uh, experience in that way. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. You're about to hear an audio clip from the album Fractures with the wonderful singer Meredith Hall. Frank is involved in so many projects. We didn't get around to talking about this one, but we wanted to include some music from it. This is an excerpt from an orbital tour of Cities at Night with Meredith Hall soprano, Bram Goldhammer piano, lyrics by Rachel Morgan, and the composer is Frank Horvat. Of course, Frank's website, with the links to all these albums, is linked in the description of this podcast. Thank you. 
So if we could talk, you have two current projects that would be interesting to touch on. Sure. So you read a, a beautiful book to speak for the trees and that has inspired um, a beautiful co-creation. So maybe just if you could talk about that. Sure, sure. Um, this is a ongoing project um, that is not out there yet, uh, but it will be in the, in the coming months um, in 2024, uh, should be out there. And uh, this is a collaboration I'm, I'm doing with uh, the harpist Charlene Wallace. Charlene is quite a well-known uh, harpist and based here in Toronto, uh, but, uh, but very, very well-known in, um, in the harp community in Canada. Very, very well-known as a clinician and a teacher and so forth. So Charlene and I have known each other for quite a few years and sort of like with, with like with the ensemble, it sort of comes together. Hey, you know, I love what you do. Um, maybe we can call somehow collaborate on something. And, and again, just through conversation, we realize there are really in-depth connection to, um, to nature and the importance of nature. And, um, and so this idea about trees came up. And um, so what's interesting about this project is not just the, the theme, but also the, the, um, the fact that the process. So what we're doing with this process with Charlene is we're co-composing. And what we do is we, we're composing a suite of, of nine pieces um, that are for solo uh, Celtic harp and fixed electronics. And basically we've gone, we've created this and begun this very multi-step creative process, which basically featured us recording samples of Charlene uh, in a recording studio. Then step number two was for me to create uh, electronic, a fixed electronics part that includes the vast amount of samples that we recorded. Then, uh, then Charlene composes um, a solo harp part on top that will go on top of that mm -hmm. fixed electronic part that she, she could play alive. And then the final step is we, we put, you know, uh, put it all together, together, uh, you know, figuring out how I, we can adjust her part, how I adjust my part. So a very, very collaborative thing. And then eventually uh, in the coming, coming months, we'll record an album. She'll record an album of it and, you know, she'll be able to perform these live. So the idea of uh, Trees.Listen was, like you said, was born out of this amazing book by a very renowned uh, botanist who's based outside of Ottawa, um, named Dr. Diana Beresford Kroger. And she wrote this beautiful book that inspired Charlene and I very much of talking about the need for trees, how trees are so important, but it was also part memoir about her life, growing up orphaned in Ireland, being raised by aunts and uncles who espoused on her the um, ancient um, Celtic tradition. She's literally, uh, she is the uh, offspring of the of Celtic god, uh, Celtic kings and queens from thousands of years ago. And so the pieces that we're composing are all based on the ancient Ogham script that the Celts invented. It was the first type of alphabet. And what's interesting is the, the Celts, the ancient Celts, named each one of their alphabet, the letters in their alphabet, is inspired by a specific type of tree. That's how mm. important trees are to them. So what we're doing is we're including the pitch 
named after a specific tree, that main pitch is the main tonal center or pitch for each of those compositions. So in essence, the spirit of the tree and tonally is incorporated right into the piece. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's been a beautiful project because again, something to talk about how trees are important, how can we promote this through a musical presentation, uh, but just Charlene and I are such good friends and she's such a sweet, kind-hearted person and super talented. So just to make music with somebody that I admire and uh, do it together in this collaborative way outside my normal routine of how to compose a piece makes that project so awesome. Wonderful. Yeah, I haven't read that book, but I've read about Diana. Isn't she one of the researchers that um, discovered about the mother tree sending energy to the... Uh, Yes. Fungi. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Yeah. The root systems, basically how how trees communicate with each other and how literally there is trees in a forest that's sort of like the mother figure that's looking out for all the other trees and will share nutrients through the roots and so forth. So, you know, it just shows how we take we take so much of the beautiful nature around us for granted. And not only do we take it for granted, but we also um, we underestimate how smart they are, you know, and and how sophisticated they are. And thankfully, we have these amazing people out there doing this research with, you know, species of animals and plant life. Now that is is making us realize that. And hopefully if we keep doing that, we'll realize, well, you know, why would we destroy something like this? You know, why would we not preserve it? Right. So, um, yeah, her her work is is invaluable, but she's also this super inspiring human being that, you know, she's infectious. You would think that, you know, that the deforestation of our planet, which is is so doom and gloom. You would think someone who's in that field and who's studied it for decades now would be so uh, pessimistic, you know, and just always have a negative tone. And she's the complete opposite. You listen to Diane, like she inspired Charlene and I that, hey, there is, there is still time. We can still do something, you know what I mean? So if someone like that, who's so educated in the terrible things, the calamitous things that happen already can talk like that, you know, then none of us can should be pessimistic and feel like there's still hope. So, mm -hmm. does she know about this project of yours? Have you talked to her? She does. She's so sweet. She's like, she's quite well known, you know. And for her to reach out, when we reached out, wrote a letter, and I got a phone call, and you know, and she's giving me suggestions and like to have somebody of this stature like support your project. You know, it just shows how people who are passionate about it, they, they, you know, they, they just want it to keep happening, you know, and to keep, keep the momentum going. And, and she's just so kind hearted, you know, so yeah, very lucky. Wonderful. And you have another new project, uh, Solo Piano Commission, More Rivers. Yeah, so this is an amazing uh, collaboration, a piece that was uh, a suite of pieces that was um, commissioned by Christina Petrowska Quilco, very well renowned, uh, well decorated, justifiably so, uh, pianist here in Canada, so well known, uh, composed or uh, performed uh, so many concerts over the years and produced so many albums. And so um, another person that I feel very uh, close to my heart that 
you know, invited me to compose music for her. And basically what I've done in the Moore Rivers is composed a suite of solo piano pieces that captures the feeling of, um, of the flow of water. And as, uh, as a stylistically, one of the aspects uh, compositionally that I'm really into a lot is minimalism. I have, there's a lot of elements in my compositions that's quite minimalist, uh, uh, loop-oriented. And, um, and so, needless to say, one composer that I've always been really uh, admiring of um, was Anne Southam, or is Anne Southam, uh, this late, great Canadian composer who passed away, I think, about maybe now about 15 years ago or so. And uh, I got a chance to meet Anne over the years in my early days, sitting on some boards and so forth. And and she's she's such, such a wonderful human being, and I just love her music um, all these years and very inspirational on me because she was exploring a lot of this. So she composed this really famous suite of pieces in the early 1980s called Rivers. And, um, and you don't have to go far to find people recording or playing rivers. They're so awesome, these pieces, and very hypnotic. And uh, Christina was a good friend of Anne's, and Christina was the original person who recorded uh, rivers and, and worked with Anne. So I thought, to, I've said to Christina, what if we were to do something that sort of partially pays respect or pays homage to the original River series by creating more rivers. And she was so into it. She has been so into it. She's practicing it now. And we're, again, going to get ready for a recording uh, later this year. And really, really excited about this project, especially because of the fact that, you know, Anne uh, or Christina worked with Anne on the original thing. And I, I feel like I'm going through the same process that she did with 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 Anne and that that's so exciting you know because of the fact that I just love her music so much. Mm -hmm. So to, to close out this conversation if you could reflect back Frank when you were you know in your early 20s in university trying to make it what did you see as your future as a composer? Oh that's a really great question uh, and it's it just shows how my answer is going to just show how you know you can have a vision and that's great but it doesn't always work out that way. When I was in university, uh, I was hell bent I was going to be a Hollywood film composer. That was going to be the thing. I was so excited I was going to be like you know the next John Williams or Hans Zimmer or something like that. And when I graduated from school, I definitely jumped into that world and did that kind of thing. But the one thing that I've realized about creative paths and life in general is that sometimes there's a series of events that happen, especially in the arts, I find this, that just make you do this or do that. And that maybe wasn't your plan. So I'm a planner. I tend to be type A type of personality, but I have learned over the years, I have to let a lot of that stuff go there's only so much you can plan for, and then you have to realize that you're just going to go with the flow and do things. And I always think of Bach, you know, Bach. People always say, well, I didn't Bach compose any um, opera, you know. Well, nobody hired him to do that or the right collaborator didn't come along who ever thought of doing that. Maybe that's the only simple reason why we don't have, you know, opera by Bach, right? And, and so for me, it's the same thing. The, a series of events have led me to where I am. And most importantly, not only are those series of events that sort of like 
sort of happened by accident or, you know, accidentally on purpose, however you want to frame it. Um, but the most important thing is I'm happy and, and I'm invigorated and I'm always looking for new projects that will invigorate me. And the cool thing that I'm excited about it, even though I'm getting older, you know, uh, is that I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know what's going to come along that's going to be something completely brand new that I never thought about. And that can be scary, but it's also super exciting at the same time uh, and keeps things fresh. And I think we need that as artists, as people who are creating things. If you sort of get stuck in a rut and saying, well, I'm only going to always do this kind of project with these people all the time and stuff, I think things can get stale really quickly. And, and you know, with all due respect to you know, professions out there that do have that kind of flow to it, that things stay relatively the same. I, I, I think as people in the arts and culture community, we can't get into that rut too much mm -hmm. because if we do, then I think things get stale and then the audience will realize it. But even more importantly, it just, it's not as fulfilling for us. So, mm -hmm. Well, thanks so much for this today. It was really wonderful. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for such a great conversation, Leah. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please do share this with your friends and check out episodes you may have missed at leahroseman.com. If you could buy me a coffee to support the series, that would be wonderful. The link is in the description. Have a wonderful week. <laughs>